Hey everybody, it's Phil. We recorded this episode with The Stibs back in June during the Hour of Devastation previews. We were a little swamped with all the cool stuff we had to cover between then and now, so it might sound a little bit weird to hear us referring to the Hour of Devastation previews. But rest assured, this is a great episode. Now let's begin. I'm Phil DeLuca. I'm Sean Watson. <laughs> no Shivam today. No Shivam. He's off on holiday. On and vacation. we are still commander in. We are. Yes, he's got those. Mm. Thanks for listening, everybody. We put a spotlight on community issues, but never, ever talk about four banned topics, and our guests will have to adhere to this strictly. Religion, politics, Hearthstone, and hip-hop. We appreciate the support that you give us, so head on over to patreon.com slash commanderandmtg, and (laughs) it's already started. Smooth. Oh my goodness, yeah. So head on over to patreon.com slash commanderandmtg, and donate even a buck a show helps us tremendously. In the month of June, we are donating all of our proceeds to Mason Talley because he has a sick child at home and we want to make sure he's taken care of even a little bit. So don't forget to visit us on YouTube. And of course, if you're wherever you're getting your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or wherever, don't forget to leave us a five star rating. It helps us in all of the search results and all sorts of fun things like that. This week, we have a wonderful show lined up for you. We are actually talking to a pillar of the Commander community. Someone who we have read for years and, in truth, we're a little bit intimidated to invite on the show. And we have since talked about that with Adam Staborski. He is probably best known for writing on the Mothership. He was the fourth writer for the Serious Fun columnist, and he writes the Command Tower column which is how we got to know of him. And he's been doing that since 2009. He was in the 2015 Community Cup, and he ran GatheringMagic.com for several years. Mm. And, yeah, I know, right? And this is why, Sean, I was intimidated. Um, You're British, you're not intimidated as easily. (laughs) And he's now now the content director for TCGPlayer.com. The whole thing, all the articles come through him. It's pretty amazing. So say hello, Adam. Can we can we call you Adam, by the way? You can if you want. Most people call me Stibbs. <laughs> wow. Thanks for coming on the show. It's super late for you. It is, but it's it's pretty I mean basically it's Vegas time again. It's like, it's like I'm back at the GP. <laughs> yeah, we spent a bunch of time together at the GP. It was good. Yeah, it was. At the swanky VIP party where we were eating caviar and drinking champagne. Mm-hmm. Where, where yeah. did you find that? Because I didn't. I looked. <laughs> oh, uh, the Andy Hall and Sean Tabara said it was a um, American, a Canadian caviar, and it's something to do with Rocky Mountain oysters, or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the the caviar was shaped a lot like uh, little cubes of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Beautiful. <Vegas. laughs> 
Adam, can you tell us a little bit about your time with Commander? Like, how did, I mean, you've been writing about Commander basically since 2009. You're a super, like, you're, you are one of the pillars in the community. Tell us all about that. I guess it's a little weird because I don't quite feel like a pillar in the community. I just kind of like do my own thing and I'm, you know, privileged and lucky enough to get to write about it and been in a position to write about it and kind of talk about how fun and awesome Commander is. And, and I've had a really good experience playing the playing the format for years. I picked it up kind of when it was starting to take off and Kelly Diggs actually wrote the first article about Elder Dragon Highlander for serious fun um, a couple months before I took over. And that was when I was learning about it and it kind of exploded in my card shop and among my friends and we were playing with like the literal you know elder dragons and the the new dragon legends that were from like invasion which was not new at the time but they were you know the the children mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. so it was a lot of fun to, to kind of um get into the format you know when my first decks was um crush the blood braided and i really went you know jund them out with like a sacrifice effects and i could steal creatures and sacrifice them and that was when that was something good to do in commander because nobody knew what was good in commander it was just kind of a (laughs) free-for-all exploration kind of early on so that's really it like it's just kind of the one of the ways i've really enjoyed playing magic you know every now and then i've been a little more competitive with like drafting or or standard for you know a couple minutes it feels like but sitting down with friends and having a beer having some pizza playing some commander is just kind of like magic in a nutshell. That's kind of what I, what I got into playing, you know, learning the game when I was, when I was a kid and it's just kind of continued now. I'm still a kid, but I'm much bigger. (laughs) (laughs) You're still a kid, but with also a much bigger budget available to you. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. Isn't it good? (laughs) Well, we're certainly glad that, that it exploded at your game store. And how did you come to start writing for the Mothership in 2009? That was like a year after you started Commander. What were you doing already? I just um, wanted to write something. So I wrote a couple articles on um, MTG Salvation way, you know, way back in the day. This was like 2008, of course. And um, somewhere along the way, um, Kelly Diggs was looking around trying to find somebody to take over serious fun. He wanted somebody that kind of inherited the you know, have fun first mentality, kind of taking a step away from a lot of what, um, you know, Anthony Nolongi and the Ferret did, which was all about kind of the strategy side of multiplayer. And, and there is a strategy side, and there's a bunch of ways to break it down and explain politics and, you know, the animal characteristics of cards, which I love. And so there's there's definitely cool things to talk about, but the but the goal was to kind of differentiate it from a lot of the competitive content that was already out there. You know, somebody really wants to win there's dozens of formats that kind of mm. cater to competitiveness. Commander's not meant to be that way. You know, Emperor's really not meant to be that way. It was, mm. you know, the Serious Fun column was really supposed to be about having fun first. So kind of my philosophy and how I approached playing the game and what excited me seemed to line up with Kelly. And, you know, I went through a process, submitted in spec piece, a little bit of trivia. So I signed in NDA with Wizards. Everybody who writes has one. That's just kind of part and parcel, of course. Um, but the first card I saw under NDA, shared from Kelly Diggs, was Lorthos, the Tidemaker. <laughs> really? And I re- wrote basically a preview article for Lorthos. Kind of, you know, hey, you might be taking over right at the beginning of Zendikar preview season, write a preview. And, you know, it was kind of a good way to see how I do handling kind of one of the premier things that the site does, right? Like, hey, there's a new set, here's a new card, show it off, make it look good. You know, I didn't get like a whole list of instructions to follow. It was just like, throw you in the deep end, see what I can do. And apparently you liked what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but years later, 
course, we're back on Battle for Zendikar, and Kozilek, you know, myrtilates Lorthos. He is dead, officially dead, confirmed in the story. There's no secret Lorthos. I mean, there's the Lorthos cult that thinks Lorthos is still lurking the deeps. Nah, it's very dead. And it was Kelly Kelly Diggs who made the story call to kill him. So not only did Kelly bring me Lorthos, but took him away. And for that, I will never forgive Kelly. (laughs) Why did he kill Lorthos? That's a burning question. Did he like come into your office eating a big serving of calamari saying, hey, did you read my latest? uh... (laughs) Yeah, did he did he order calamari delivered to you and then break the news? It, it just it was just a thing, and so you know I didn't even know Kelly made the call until there was like an email exchange, and I was asking for some information, and um, Kelly kind heads. of like in the email <laughs> reply, like in little tiny font, like reduced the size, like where he admitted that he you know killed Lorthos because oh. he knew you know it, you know it's kind of a jokey, but like for me it's a little more personal, right? It's just like a little part of you know I'm never going to get a chance to preview like a sixth armed Lorthos that's been scarred from you know, being attacked by Kozilek. It's just right. dead. Gone. Oh, man. When you were asking for more information, was it in all caps and you were you were just, why did you kill Lorthos? Well, <laughs> I, I, I didn't ask for more information. I just asked for, I just asked for, uh, it was for other, for other story stuff, just trying to understand a preview card. Kozilek could have like shifted him into being a strange crystalline octopus. Oh, that's how he kills things. He warps it, doesn't he? That's what he should have done. But there was some chopping involved. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, so for you, these preview cards are old hat, aren't they? You're just like, eh, yeah, it's another preview card. No, they're all new and exciting. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I. What's funny is because I have a popper cube too. I I'm hungry for commons. So, like, I love the Uncommons, and I love all the Commander cards, and there's all sorts of, you know, Commander cards with air quotes around it, because half the time they're still standard cards, but the the thing that really stands out to me are the Commons, because that really is the, you know, if somebody opens a couple packs from the set, that's what they're most likely to see, so it's really telling what's in the set. Um, they always try to put the mechanics at Common, so that's why there's, like, Common Embalm creatures and stuff like that, but it's also where I need to find foils for my cube. So like, I'm always waiting for like the final day when they're like, okay, well here's all the other cards we didn't feel were worthwhile talking about. And generally there's like a couple gems buried in the commons and uncommons that I'm excited to pull out for commander in my cube. It's, it's always super exciting to to go through the preview season. Yeah. I was actually looking forward to this Friday because at the time of recording, it's two days from now is the end of preview season Mm. because going through that, there's always treasure. (laughs) I'm looking at the uncommons from this set. There's some very good ones. <laughs> there are. Mm-hmm. Sorry, from Arrow Devastation, if you're listening to this in the future. That's right. Yeah. We just got, um, we haven't gotten a lot of preview cards, so we're tickled every time we get them. We're, we're not jaded, you know, long-term card previewers, as it were, but... <laughs> So, <laughs> but, uh, so we just got a preview card and we had the God Pharaoh's gift, which was f- freaking awesome. It was, it lit a whole bunch of brewers on fire, which is really cool to see. It's the first time we had dead eye navigator and Kaidelia as well. <laughs> and this is really the first time when, you know, we got something where everybody was like, Ooh, that's amazing. 
And uh, I do want to call out, and if we uh, do a video of this show, which we should do, I think, Josiah Cameron, who is at JMCameron89 on Twitter, did this really cool St. Nickel Bulmus. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, because when we were talking about it, we kind of went into magical Christmas land. Like, if we have this on the field, and this on the field, mm. and do this. He's bringing gifts to all of the God Pharaoh to all. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, those of you who don't follow us on Twitter, we'll we'll have to put this in the video uh, and kind of in the show notes, and we'll uh, we'll show it. It's a really cool image. He's wearing a fake beard, isn't he? Bolmus is the uh, Bolmus Bolas has a beard <laughs> in some some art, but it's like a little metal pipey thing. Yeah, no, he's got a white chin duster on, as yeah. you would, <laughs> and. Then uh, another follower on Twitter, Imaginary Fiend, who is at Vertia, also did one. A sketch, though, of uh, Bolas with, uh, this time it's the, the little, what is that ball thing, Stibbs, in the middle of uh, his horns? I Whatever. Can't that. His meditation ball? I, I thought and it used the to be the, the, um, of the, the mask from the, uh, the, the night kami. Trying to remember the name of my, the Myosian of Night. I thought oh, that yeah. was uh, that was like part of the Kamigawa story that somehow it the Myosian of Night could slip to Dominaria, and that's how like the Umezawa clan came to Dominaria was that was like the Myosian's punishment. But then like in Time Spiral, you find out that Bolas like went, you know, basically it was kind of like you've seen the movie uh, Ocean's Eleven, the, the remake, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. there's the character Benedict, and it's like he doesn't just come after you; comes after you, everyone you know, and everyone they know. You know, and so that was what Bolas did. He was just like, "Well, how did the the Umezawas get here and and wreck me for thousands of years?" And traced it back to the Myosian and wrecked the Myosian on Kamigawa for some reason because that's what <laughs> evil Bolas does. Sure. I may be misremembering that, so for those people, please, sorry if I got that wrong, but I definitely remember reading the novels, and that sounds about right. You know what that ball does, don't you, in the game, Phil? Bolas pays three and taps it. He can sacrifice it to search his library for an island, a swamp, or a mountain, reveal it, and put it into his hand. Ooh. That's Gem of Becoming. Oh, the Gem of Becoming. Which is what it is. Awesome. Yeah. It has a card and everything. Look at that. It's an uncommon from M13, would you believe it or not? <laughs> I would not believe that, Sean. <laughs> Evidence <laughs> suggests that's fake news. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this image from Advertia is, uh, has uh, Bolas in a Christmas sweater and some kind of Christmas robe and the, the gem of becoming, if you will, has, a, has one of those little uh, chin dusters and a Santa hat. And uh, there, it appears to be uh, strings of, of lights hanging from Bolas's horns. <laughs> yes, there are. Yes, it's a good one. Yeah, these are, and he's uh, presiding over what looks like the uh, Eternalizer itself. Yes. So, so I saw on Twitter after we'd recorded the episode, but before we'd released it about the preview card, people speculating what the God Pharaoh's gift did. Uh, talking about the card Gate to the Afterlife, which references it. And I was sitting there, I really had to bite my lip so hard. It's like, yeah. I know, I know. So, uh, yeah, it was good fun for about three days. <laughs> so, 
Stibbs, the Stibbs, if you will. Hmm? Sean, he wanted to talk about a couple of uh, a couple of topics while we were prepping for this, and we'll get into Commander, and we'll dive all over Commander, and everything we talk about will actually be uncharacteristically, Sean, related to the Commander game. How about that? Yay! <laughs> so while we're on Hour of Devastation, Patron Andy Bentley wants to know what you think of some of the new bomb enchantments from Hour of Devastation, and that's. He listed Overwhelming Splendor as the first of them. And that's uh, six and two white. It's an enchantment, an aura curse, enchant player. Creatures enchanted player controls lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 1-1. Enchanted player can't activate abilities that aren't mana abilities or loyalty abilities. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I need a moment. Okay. Targeted humility for four times the cost. Mm. That sticks around, right? Humility sticks around. You're thinking oh, is of it, is sudden it? spoiling. Oh, uh, and uh, humble. That's the instant or yeah. sorcery version of that. Yeah. What do you think of that, Adam? I think it's one of those cards that's going to. You're going to think about playing it against the person in the lead, right? Like, oh, somebody's taking over the game. Let's let's humble them. You know, humility you. And it sounds really cool, except you realize most of the time somebody who's going to be playing a a humble you card is probably playing a control deck already. They're looking to make somebody's creatures kind of worthless. If you play it on somebody playing, like, black-red, for example, they're just kind of hosed for the rest of the game unless somebody else takes pity on them and unlocks it. I'm usually not a big fan of, like, specific non-symmetrical hosers like this. I think it's just gonna. I think it's just gonna lead to bad experiences. Like I don't think it's a broken card. It's just one of those cards where somebody plays it and you're like, "Well, I hope I draw enchantment removal." It's like <laughs> you know, just shrug. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think Iona is a really good comparison. It's just gonna randomly host some people, and then other times it's not gonna bother you at all. I agree. Fair enough. I don't think this is a very good card. Sorry. Ah. And Poor like, Andy. if you if you overwhelming splendor <laughs> me, the next game, I don't care what you're playing. You're dead. I'm getting you straight away. <laughs> Now, it's not like they've destroyed your land, Sean. Uh, true. That's true. Yeah. I can do more with Overwhelming Splendor cursing me than I can if you've Armageddoned. That yeah. is true. In theory. It is. Yeah. No, it's very true. You you just cast all your creatures as 1-1s. One <laughs> <Fair. laughs> I mean, Lazav really, really comes to life when he's a 1-1. One, one. He's got that sudden struggle that he needs to deal with. With no abilities. And this card won't see any standard play. But I can hear judges now going, oh, we have to deal with this again? Because humility yeah. caused them all kinds of headaches. Yeah. All kinds. And uh, this one probably stifles uh, ETB effects too, doesn't it? Um, no. Because it's as it enters. I'm not sure, actually. This is it. This is exactly my point of how judges go, what? Anyway, let's talk about one of these hosing enchantments I do like. (laughs) Which one? Fraying Sanity. Two and a blue for or a curse. Enchant player, obviously. At the beginning of each end step, enchanted player puts top X cards of his or her library into her graveyard, where X is the number of cards put into the graveyard from anywhere this turn. Yeah, that's great. Lol? Well, it's very specific, isn't it, to mill decks, but I run a mill <laughs> deck that's very good. You do? I might try it out. 
Stibbs, your opinion? I I think it's fine. I I think Mildex have enough. I think Mildex have enough tools to, to to work in Commander already. I mean, I've had some pretty hairy encounters with just taking chunks of my library and dumping it away. Um, I usually don't mind doing that, but you know, it's 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 the lesser of annoying things that can be done in Commander, I guess, on the on on some annoying Commander scale. I like that the way it's worded lets you play it. And then if they've got a whole bunch of stuff on the battlefield, you can actually cast a Wrath afterwards. The cards on the battlefield go to the graveyard and count as cards that go from anywhere. So it kind of <laughs> does it kind of does double duty, which is a really interesting way. They they definitely worded it to be maximally impactful, I guess. Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, it yeah. says with traumatize, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, almost. It leaves you with one card. Uh-huh. Unless, of course, something else has gone to the graveyard in the meantime. Say, it's not that hard to achieve. <laughs> no, it's it's so brutal. Uh-huh. When I saw, really, I paid attention to that when Andy asked us about it, and I was like, oh, oh, that goes right into the Mimeoplasm. And I thought of your Lazov deck as well, and I'm like, oh, this is a dirty, dirty card. Yeah, and Lazav, that kills someone really fast. Really, really, really fast. Uh, Sphinx's tutelage gets funny if they've got Fraying Sanity on top of them as well. The last one we've got here, which I think is a more interesting one for application, is Solemnity. Two and a white for an enchantment. Players can't get counters. Counters can't be put on artifacts, creatures, enchantments, or lands. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Surprise me it doesn't say Planeswalkers on their counters can't be put on. Because then it would be a powerhouse card. Well, you notice Overwhelming Splendor also has a carve-out for Planeswalkers. Yeah, I did notice that. Bolas yeah, doesn't want to hose a... himself, though, does he? If you think in a Warfussy <laughs> way, you wouldn't want to stop himself getting more loyal, I guess. Depending how you look at it. Players can't get counters as interesting commander because there's a lot of Meron decks out there. Yeah. But Golgari doesn't have a problem removing enchantments, does it? Stibbs, no, your opinion on this one? I think it's one of those cards that's going to turn out to be more broken than we think. It's <laughs> one of the ways that cards have like riders or limitations is they is they have counters on them, like a limited number, or you have to, you know, use counters up, or, or you have to take counters off to be able to unlock something. Like Dark Depths is a good example. It's one of those cards that's just going to randomly break things down the road, mm, which is kind of a little. <laughs> there you go. That laugh there. <laughs> uh, any deck that runs Glenlandra Archmage is going to enjoy this. Oh. Yeah. So, like persist- persistent and dying creatures are, you know, are much better with Solemnity sticking around. You get a sacrifice ally. You can just kind of like go off. I don't like that it doesn't hit Planeswalkers. I think that's kind of obnoxious. Like, there's, you know, it's it's easy enough to set up a kind of a control situation and, and start going off with Planeswalkers. You know, they're super popular. The Super Friends decks have run into dozens of them playing Commander. So I'm 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 not very happy about the Planeswalker carves out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it, it's one of those cards that looks like, okay, cool, this is something I can play against Atraxa. Except it's not actually going to do that much. You know, because they can still <laughs> do stuff with Planeswalkers and things. So they'll just remove it. You know, they've got like three different, three different colors that can do that with Atraxa. But it's one of those cards where when you see it, like they're planning to do something broken with it. Like yeah. I don't see like generally positive applications. Like, oh, you're gonna do something really gross if I if I don't deal with that. 
You don't think someone's going to play Solemnity and then play a Dark Depths, do you? Maybe. I don't know. It seems reasonable. Ashwell's Alter <laughs> Solemnity in any Persist or Undying creature equals infinite mana. Yep. Which is a good one. Um, if you have a problem with Infect decks in your meta, this card says sucks to be you. Yep. No poison a, counters. Uh, yep. And of course, this will this will act as a stop against Marin and uh, Niv Mizix and yes, Mizix right. is going to have more of a problem against it than um, yeah. Marin. Marin's just going to putrefy the hell out of that in right five seconds flat. Putrefy? What's the one? You know, the naturalized of any any green enchantment removal. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. choose one of the very rare. Uh, green enchantment removal cards. Yeah. And I mean, Marin <laughs> definitely doesn't run one of a host of creatures that have that enchantment removal strapped on them. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's potentially busted. Anyway, good question, Andy Bentelay. Yes, very good question. Now, one of the things we keep hearing about in the community is like there's a schism that believes that the rules committee should sort of, you know, either step back or be subsumed by Wizards of the Coast. And that actually relates to our, our next topic, too. What, I mean, you know the controversy, and I'm not going to go through it all and, and lay it all out. What do you think of that? I think the Wizards, you know, the, the not the Wizards Committee, the Rules Committee, there is no Wizards Committee. You know, let's, let's, let's put the kibosh <laughs> on that rumor. <laughs> it's it's 1 a.m. for me. That's, that's, where I, that's where my brain's at. The Rules Committee, I think, gets a lot of flack that's a little undeserved and it's not saying, you know, the rules committee is perfect or they, you know, every decision's been perfect or done timely every time. It's more just, there is no other enemy, right? Like if you think a card right. is breaking the commander dead on navigator, you know, you <laughs> might, you might want to target, you know, like, like what's keeping that card in the format, the rules committee. If you think a card should be unbanned, there's only one gatekeeper for that, the rules committee. So invariably, if you have any issue with, any rules about the format, any anything that seems off about the format, there's really only one place to point to. So, you know, are there valid criticisms? Absolutely. Everything can be criticized in a, in a, in a positive way. I think that just some people go a little bit over the top with about how awful the rules committee is. Yeah. And kind of the way I boil, way I boil my, my counter-argument to the rules committee is the worst down is, okay, well, let's let's assume the rules committee is doing the worst possible job of managing commander format. Then Commander's dead. Mm-hmm. I look around and Commander's seems to be as big as it's ever been or bigger. You know, I was at Jimmy and Josh's Command Zone, you know, shindig, and it was massive. It was like five times as large as it was two years ago. You know, it's and really now they've, it, yeah, they, they've grown, but like the format's grown. You know, every, every Grand Prix I've gone to, I was going to Grand Prix in 2012, 2013. Commander was much smaller then then now where it seems like you can always find the game there's always like basically tables off to the side generally as far away from the competitors as possible that just get kind of get like taken over you know we saw this at vegas all the round tables off to the side it was just like commander palooza that's yeah like nobody was over there to to really lounge maybe some trade people came over but it was where you went to play commander and that's just kind of where the format is it's it's doing very well so i don't think that it's fair to say the rules committee is the the worst thing ever or wizards should do it because of x y or z i think i think they're doing an okay job and i think we're doing an okay job as a community of keeping them informed of what we think 
Um, and I think they do take our feedback and think about it. And, you know, generally I'm, I'm not going to argue that they're doing an awful job. Not sure about that protein hulk I'm banning, though. <laughs> that card is so dumb. <sighs> well, you know, 18 months, that's the over-under. Mm. I'm going to place a dollar right now that's getting rebanned. <laughs> well, we'll see, won't we? It's up to us to figure that out. Not us as a podcast, but uh, us as a community. If we start abusing it, then guess what? Back to the ban lest you go. Oh, it's been abused. So I know. Much. I know. I've, I have someone in my uh, meta at Riot Games who uh, just loves that Protean Hulk. Mm. As, uh, if you listen to the feedback from GP Richmond where they had competitive commander pods, apparently Flash Hulk was in every single game. Of course. If it's competitive, it's going to be, right? <sighs> Still. And was that competitive as in, like, pods of regular uh, commander, or was that specifically dual commander? Because I wasn't No, no, it's pods of regular commander. Yeah. Yeah, the moment you make it competitive, it's going to go, you know, you're just going to get the infinite combos, and of course they're going for Flash Hulk. Multiple games were ending turn three or four because of Flash Hulk. Yeah. There you go. Well, hey. Anyway. If only we had some data. <laughs> if only we had some data to back that up, I would right? need two or so million dollars to do that. <laughs> so. Stibbs probably is confused about that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, we never assume that anybody listens to the show. And uh, that, that comes from, we will direct you now to some of Sheldon Menery's uh, appearances here because... Uh, as he points out, collecting data from actual paper magic would be very difficult. But Magic Online doesn't have that problem, do they, Stibbs? No, they don't. <laughs> Smooth transition there. Smooth. I am uh, <laughs> a professional podcaster. Now, on July 5th, the ban list reverts to this really weird ban list that they have for 1v1 online. And the rule set, and then the the actual rule set for Commander and the ban list there. But Adam, what do you think about this change that they announced back in, what was it, April now? Yeah, I want to say it was late April. Yeah, and so just to recap for our listeners, Magic, the people who run Magic Online, which of course is Wizards of the Coast, it's the digital group there, they decided to change all of Commander Online <laughs> to match this specific ban list that they created. It was different from the French slash dual commander ban list, different from every ban list in any other format of commander, and yet they still called it Commander Online. The ban list applied whether or not it was a two-player game, so 1v1, or a, a three-player, which we commonly refer to as multiplayer, despite there being two in the base version. So, like... All games of Commander were using this ban list. It created a little bit of confusion in the community. And even still, people... I saw a post just the other day where someone was like, wait a second, this ban list, and was asking if it was official. How do you think they could have handled it, Stibbs, differently? Well, the, the, the rationale, if I'm remembering correctly, was that they, they can see how are people playing Commander, and they noticed a lot of, you know, one-on-one -on -one Commander. You know, I think that the players that play Magic Online are generally more competitive players. They're players that like to draft, like to do leagues. I think the success of leagues speaks to why they wanted to implement a 1v1 format. And so what they did, in, instead of going, okay, we'll add a 1v1 format with its own ban list and 
do their own thing, which which is, you know, I'm fine with, like, go ahead and make a competitive commander online league thing. Like, if players want to play that, awesome. Great, go do that. I will never queue. But what they <laughs> what they instead was, I think, they, they tried to take a shortcut. My read from the outside is they tried to take a shortcut to make it just a little bit easier for them in the long run, which is, okay, well, if most people aren't playing multiplayer commander online, we'll get rid of multiplayer commander, replace it with this 1v1, that, therefore we're only updating one rule set for one new format, it's replacing this other format that we had to update, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a little cleaner for them. And instead it was, you know, hey, uh, you know, people still actually play multiplayer commander and very different legality than the list that they were using, which is much longer than, you know, the, uh, the commander general commander ban list so that's that's what i understand it as i think it's i think it's silly to play competitive commander like i get the appeal of it i get why people do it but like there's very similar competitive formats that play similar ways you know canadian highlander is one um i've seen a lot of fun with uh you know i think that um singleton back in the day there was like 150 card you know singleton rainbow stairwell you know there's kind of a rainbow concaphony of formats Singleton stuff. They should have just made Singleton Legacy, you know, which I think would have solved like ninety percent of what people are looking for in in Commander. You know, just a little bit of randomness, a little bit of fun, but I'm still playing really dumb, broken stuff. One v one Commander is its own beast because you get this guaranteed card, and then invariably every deck when you have a competitive format like that and you have a guaranteed card, basically accessible and untouchable. Nobody can make you discard it. Nobody can lock you out from it. Really. You know, basically you build your deck to abuse that. So you end up with a bunch of decks that, you know, are ultra mana efficient and take advantage of Baral and take advantage of other commanders that are really cheap and get on the battlefield and give you a really, you know, significant edge. So, you know, it's not a format that that appeals to me. It's not a format I think that, you know, appeals to probably the two listeners for this podcast. I don't know how many you would say. It <laughs> seems like there was more than that at Vegas. You guys under seem to undersell yourselves, but... You know, I we have I, at least four based yeah. on Vegas. Yes, I would. I would agree. Yeah, you know, I wish they would just. I wish they had just adopted another community-run format like Dual Commander or something. Where like, look, there's already established metagame. There's already established rules. There's already established history and play and tournaments, and they can draw on that experience instead of just like going out with a ban list that was immediately not sufficient. And then they added a couple cards, and they're probably gonna have to keep updating it, but they're not gonna iterate it quickly. I think that's the real challenge is, is when they start a new format, they sync up all the banned and restricted announcements to just when they plan, have them planned out. But, you know, I think Popper, I think, you know, this new 1v1 Commander, those formats, I think, need iterated more quickly when they introduce a, a bunch of new cards. Yeah. I think yeah. you've hit the nail on the head. And that doesn't even touch on the confusion of calling it Commander and, and having two different Commander formats because it's it's definitely not a Commander format if you've played Commander before. So but that's like to say. Yeah. a little more of my personal axe that I want to grind. <laughs> Why didn't they just give it a different name? You, you referenced it as a new format multiple times there, and it is a new format. So why not call it, I don't know, Legacy Highlander or... I don't know. <laughs> Legacy Singleton. It just confuses me. Like Legacy Command or something. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. These are topics that uh, we have sort of touched on a little bit, and it's really good to hear your perspective on it. I've yet to hear the person that's come out and defended that naming convention, at least, you know. 
<laughs> I haven't heard a single person say that was a great idea. No, no, and we've uh, spoken to a bunch of people about this too. Yes, so. we have. So, Stibbs, about you, <laughs> what, what is it? Why did you choose magic? Why did you get into magic? Why did you start writing about it? Well, I mean, um, I guess I'll kind of handle them in different order. I started writing about magic because, like most magic players, I'm convinced I have really good ideas about magic, and you <laughs> should hear them because they're good ideas. Yep. So, you know, it's a little bit of that mental superiority kind of thing I need to keep in check, and I've gotten better about it. You know, you kind of mature and age out of being uh, overly arrogant all the time. I, now I'm selectively over, overly arrogant. I, I only choose the times I want to do that. But getting in the magic was really straightforward. I, you know, my my buddy showed me in in middle school, like it was just a cool game, yeah. and I liked hanging out with him, and I liked thinking about the cards and the strategy and a lot of the elements of you know I was in chess club and I played uh, you know RPGs, you know Final Fantasy. So it was kind of in that wheelhouse of high fantasy meets you know somebody who likes math, you know, interacting with strategy and and uh, deck building and a lot of the personalization that comes with magic, you know, I get to express myself in really cool ways and discover cards and interactions. And that, you know, that, that process was really cool and intimate and unique. Um, even though everyone goes through the same process, how they go through it and what they, what they turn out to like, I think is a little bit different. And that's, I think, what makes magic so sticky. So mm-hmm. for me, magic's just been all about hanging out with friends, playing, playing magic, having a good time. I think Unhinged is one of my favorite sets to to draft and, you know, wacky draft with. Just that little element of of humor and wackiness and people, like, standing up and, like, how tall are you really? You know, like, questions like that that are kind of different from, you know, like, like, yes, there's strategic elements, but, like, the the fun. Capturing that element of fun is something that um, keeps magic going for me. So when I, you know, when I get to see cool commons and when I get to play with friends and when I get to do interesting things in Commander, and even if I'm not entirely successful, um, I feel like I've done something cool and fun, and people people generally walk away having a good having a good game. That's kind of my goal. So that's that's what keeps magic going for me is just sitting down having fun. <laughs> you looking forward to the new unset? I I may have made several promises to James. <laughs> <laughs> James Turner from Loading Ready Run um, runs the pre-pre-releases. I I would I would gladly do any number of things. Absurd. <laughs> I would have no shame promoting that set, and I think I think Wizards <laughs> knows that. So I, I, you know, if I don't find something fun to do with that set, I'm I think I've I've missed the mark in calling in all the favors that have been owed to me over the years. <laughs> Our uh, awesome. Vegas panel. We just mentioned that new unset, and it got a spontaneous round of applause. So I think people are very excited about seeing it. Yeah, and it's and it's the same space as um, Conspiracy Two and Conspiracy. Like, it's not as it's un- unstable and unsets aren't for everyone, um, especially since you probably can't even play most of the cards technically in Commander decks and stuff. But it's the experience, right? Like when people are seeking that multiplayer experience, seeking that fun with friends and doing cool things as a group, getting that satisfaction in magic is a lot harder than than it seems. Mm. You know, I can go to a pre-release every every few months. I can go to a draft every Friday. I can go to Magic Online every night. But none of that is the kind of multiplayer 
sit around, you know, tabletop gaming type experience that I think a lot of people that play Commander seek out and enjoy. And I think that that, yeah. that audience overlap is pretty significant. Yeah, we get it all. I mean, we get this deep strategy, we get the beautiful art, we get the Magic the Gathering rule set. It's just fantastic. We get the multiplayer, right? The politics, the the kibitzing across the board, like any other really good board game. Mm. We get the collector's element that standard yeah. certainly doesn't get and draft doesn't get because we are an eternal format. Eternal. Hey, we should do a podcast <laughs> about Commander. <laughs> we should. Yeah. We should at some someday. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll we'll start doing a podcast about Commander. Yeah, Adam. Before we get into, oh, sorry, Stibbs. Before we get into <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the actual Commander brass tacks, because we're kind of ramping into it. See what I did there? Uh, uh. uh. Now you tend to write articles that uh, maybe not necessarily are for new players, but you do an awful lot for new players. Why is that? Uh, there's two reasons. One is from writing for Daily MTG for a long time and gathering magic. I've I've kind of internalized being conscientious that every article I write could be the first article somebody reads. Right? Oh, like somebody's getting into commanders, somebody's getting into magic. You know, it's it's really easy to forget like, you know, when you know, we've been playing for ages, you know. I've got a deep collection. I've got this encyclopedic knowledge that's not the greatest. I'm there in foresight. Man, that man knows his cards. But, <laughs> you know, I can call up a, you know, really obscure, obtuse cards. I, I understand obscure, obtuse rulings because I've had to look them up so I know how different cards interact. You know, I, I've got all this massive knowledge base from playing Magic for so long. Most players, I think, you know, have only started in the last year or two. You know, if you, yeah. do, if you do a poll of new players, like... It's why they come in and like sometimes the first commander deck they get is the preconstructed deck because it's overwhelming to try to find a hundred cards, but this is just great off the shelf. Oh, cool! This does like tokens and stuff. I like that, you know. And they can pick up something that that feels good and gets them started. And I think that that's why Commander 2016 decks have been so popular, so overwhelmingly popular. I I never have never seen so many pre-constructed commander decks months after release uh, yeah. as commander 2016 is because the power level of the decks was sufficiently high like i took my my off the off the shelf farika deck and it lost in a game against atraxa just because it it started ramping off and i didn't find my answers in time it just snowballed that fast and that's the kind of power level that i think that makes it so you can pick up a deck and have a have a have a game where you don't feel like you're playing weaker cards the whole time. That was kind of how I felt about the you know the previous commander preconstructed installments. So, you know, when I'm writing, I, I want to make sure that it's inclusive of those newer players that I can reach into and highlight some really cool strategic things. If I'm pointing out, you know, cards that players maybe should reconsider or haven't considered before. You know, I included some some of those uh, from my Farika deck that I think we'll talk about in a little bit, but I still want to make sure that somebody who's brand new, who's encountering Commander and is just falling down the well and wants to to learn more and they're just soaking up everything as they go, feels like they can they can they can follow along too, and that's yeah. just you know that's just the voice that I that I use in my articles. Hmm. Pretty cool. Let's talk about your favorite deck. Now you showed me a deck that. And, and we were talking at the VIP party in, in GP Las Vegas, and Sean Adam, sorry, Sean, the Stibs showed me his uh, his, <laughs> his favorite deck. Adam showed and you his Stib? 
<laughs> there yes. were stibs involved. <laughs> what I realized about mm, not even 10 cards in, it was when I got to the basic lands. I realized that he loved, genuinely loved this deck. And I realized that we all say, like, you know, I love this deck and stuff like that. But it felt like what I was doing was going through somebody, like, some very intimate letters, right? I know that's really kind of crazy to say because I'm being crazy there. But every card in this deck was lovingly selected, has been played, has earned its place, and... And he appreciates it, and he knows exactly why that card is there. And we all do. We all put things in there. But to hear him talk about it, it was it was loving. I have a deck. <clears throat> Pardon me, sir. I have a deck that I feel the same way about. Yeah, my Lazav deck. But um, it's good when you have an attachment to a particular deck like that, I find. It gives you a sense of ownership and command over when you're playing it and um, you know where the right answers are in any situation you can think of getting yourself out of because you know it so well it's like traveling in an adventure game with an old friend yeah and his deck is is one that we would definitely have underestimated before (laughs) i've seen who the commander is i agree (laughs) yeah so adam adam may i call you adam adam (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) uh sorry listeners that's a joke that's preceded our pressing record tonight could you tell us about this deck you know it's a freak god of affliction deck and it's a deck i put together um shortly after journey into nyx came out i put the deck together to go do coverage for pro tour journey into nyx you know i always wanted to you know I, I bump into Sheldon, uh, not, not Sheldon Mennery, um, I used to, um, Scott Larrabee and, and a lot of the other uh, folks that typically work uh, a Grand Prix for Wizards of the Coast play Commander. It's one of the things we can do in our you know our downtime or evenings and stuff. So I wanted a deck that I would just always take to the Pro Tour. I want something that could play against somebody who has a wacky, weird deck and not feel overwhelming, but also had some you know had some reach and game and interesting tricks and th- ways to keep up with decks that were you know, significantly more powerful than I would typically build. So that's kind of like what it was tried to straddle, just try to be the the commander deck I could take with me to events. And, you know, I, I wanted something that could interact with other players a little bit, had a couple sneaky things, but really it just kind of played to the strengths of the, the things I like to do in commander. Yeah. And then almost all of the cards, except where it doesn't exist in this format, of course, he's foiled them out, Sean. Mm. But he, but it doesn't feel like you know when you run into somebody who's foiled every every card in their deck, they're like, "Here's my foiled deck." This isn't foiled for the sake of foiling. It's foiled because it's like a respect for the deck, right? <laughs> I I know, I know, man. I'm we're gonna get such we're gonna get letters being like, "What the heck was Phil doing before the show?" So, <laughs> but let's let's go into it and let's let's talk a little bit about some of the card choices you made we can't go into them all so just like 10 to 15 or so yeah i made a spreadsheet and i I think i can make it shareable with with everyone that kind of breaks down the general um you know kind of clusters of cards i would call them kind of how i would group the cards together and i kind of like shortcut how they how they function we'll put your deck in our guest folder on deck stats yeah so so one of the things i wanted to do was you know, one of the things I like to do in Commander is ramp. You know, I kind of, you know, I gave you as, as information going to the show that my favorite card is rampant growth. 
you know, I kind of think about rampant growth as like the soul ring that never goes away. Right? Like yeah. you go find a basic land, you're probably not losing that basic land. And if you are, somebody's doing something really heinous anyway, so it doesn't matter. So I've got some bile <laughs> coming up in the back of my mouth in this topic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's, you know, it's it's just like kind of like the perennial ramp spell. So when I made Farika, Farika has, as a commander, kind of has um, an interesting ability. You know, it's a 5-5 five, five indestructible uh, creature. Um, if you have, you know, Devotion to Black and Green uh, 7 or greater, um, it's fine to make a 5-5 five, five indestructible. It's nothing that impressive in commander these days, oddly enough. But it's the ability, Black, Green, Exile, a creature card from a graveyard, that that creature's, you know, owner gets a 1-1 black and green death touch enchantment creature snake. Yeah. You know, it seems innocuous, but it's a really great little tool set, and it, it works in a lot of different ways. So I like using Farika as both kind of like a, a defensive card, where if somebody has uh, some big dumb idiots on the ground, I can exile a creature card um, after attackers are declared and have a blocker that has death touch. It's really convenient. I can make things to sacrifice on the fly, so like, oh, you, you want me to sacrifice three things? Okay, well, I'll spend six mana instead and just exile these useless creatures from my graveyard now. You know, I can give other opponents, I can give opponents uh, a death touch snake on the fly, too, and it's kind of like a like a funny combat trick. Like, somebody might not attack me, like, oh, you have a death touch snake, I'll attack you, you don't have a creature, and I can just take a look at their graveyard and for two mana, you know, kind of punish them for that um, hasty decision anyway. So <laughs> it's... You know, it's a way to manage the graveyard. You can respond and exile, you know, creature cards. It's not perfect. It doesn't get rid of everything, of course. I don't think Relic of Regenitus is going to be beat anytime soon. Hmm. But it's, um, you know, it's got a little more depth to that. And so when I built my deck, especially the ramp side, I kept that in mind. So, like, you know, classic card that I think that um, most green commander decks should probably just run anyway, like Cross and Tusker. Um, you know, getting to, getting to cycle and draw a card and find a land is a really good value for three mana. Especially because it's an instant, you know, nobody's going to stop that, I think. And yeah. I used to it run that feeds... in Maelstrom Wanderer because the CMC was good fun as well. Yeah. And, you know, Chris and Tusker, you can reanimate later. 6-5 is a fine, you know, it's if, if you if you get it for free later. But it can also goes into the graveyard, Fuel Farika. Um, same with Yavamaya Granger. This is a card that I'm surprised more people don't play. It's basically a rampant growth that you can... <laughs> reanimate over and over and over and it puts itself in the graveyard conveniently for you to do just that <laughs> you know i i don't think i've ever paid the echo cost on yavamaya granger unless things have gotten like really dire <laughs> right you know it's it's you know it's just go get a go get a basic land put on that off field tapped you know upkeep put it in the graveyard it becomes a death touch snake or i get it back with something else you know, so, you know, Sakura Dry Builder, there's a bunch of other creatures that, you know, can help ramp. And so all of all of my ramp spells, you would typically think of running things like Explosive Vegetation or Rampant Growth. I just run Creature Equivalents instead, because then I can quickly kind of ramp, but it becomes fuel for Farika as the game goes on. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was a fun, fun tour when you were giving it to us in Vegas. That was awesome. Granger's a good call. I have never seen that card played in EDH. Oh, no? I don't know why it's not been played. I, I've seen it a lot in uh, Marin and other actual Golgari uh, decks, too. Yeah, I've never run it. You get those odd cards in Commander that you that are brilliant, but people seem to avoid. I could name about ten different blue ones, but I won't now. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what else do you have in this deck? Aside from kind of like a like a creature based ramp package, you know, again keeping with the creature theme and and having creature creature based abilities. A thing I'm generally a fan of is spell creatures, right? Like creatures that enter a battlefield and do something. They have some ability attached to them. So, you know, two creatures I've 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 been having a lot of fun with. Um, you know, the first is acidic slimes, kind of like that classic <laughs> staple. Answer almost anything. You know, I wish I wish it could I, w- I wish there was a slime that could destroy target planeswalker. That would be God, that'd be so good. Like give me give me that black give me that black ooze wizards, please. Would yeah. full primus? Yes, I, I think Woodfall Primus is, is as close as it gets. It's, yeah. You know, so I, you know, it's it's one of those things where Acidic Slime can come in, they can do something pretty innocuous, you know. Like, there's nothing really going on, um, but it's like a great, you know, it's a great kind of backstop. You know, somebody's got Cabal Coffers and they're going to be doing something dumb, or somebody's going off with Gia's Cradle. Yeah, I like having answers that, you know, in a normal game can just maybe get a piece of equipment, but in like... A more powerful deck, it kind of can take out a very specific part of somebody's combo, particularly a land, which is usually a little harder to 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 take out. And because it's attached to a creature, it's easy to reanimate. All that, all that typical green-black jazz. A newer creature I added that I haven't actually um, been able to play with much yet. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing more of it. Is um, Demon of Dark Schemes. I've had a lot of success with Masker Worm. I think it's one of those really great <sighs> creatures that just punishes people that go too wide or make too many tokens and you know it's a general good answer creature to have and demon of dark schemes cost the same amount has a very very similar effect but you know i kind of have a dream scenario where i want to cast massacre worm uh then demon of dark schemes and probably kill most people's creatures deal a whole ton of damage gain like 30 energy and then just start reanimating the best things out of decks. Um, that's one of the things that that's easy to forget about Demon of Dark Schemes is it's not its ability isn't reanimate a thing that it killed. It's actually just reanimate any target creature card in a graveyard. So yeah. you can kill a whole bunch of small fries and then go ahead and just steal, you know, the worm coil engine that was sitting in there from before or mm. anything else. Um, it's 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 one of those you know, it's really high impact when it hits when it hits hard, um, and otherwise it's still a 5-5 five, five flying, which is, um, you know, I think better stats than Massacre Worm, which doesn't fly. So, I, you know, I didn't see any downside to, to throwing it in there. <laughs> you know, I've got a bunch of other creatures like, you know, Bone, bone uh, not Bone Splitter, um, Bone Shredder and Shriek Maw, Indrix Stomp, Howler, Woodfall Primus, you know, Noxious Gear Hulk. There's a whole host of things that just enter the battlefield and blow something up as a creature. You know what's funny? Um, targeting a demon of dark schemes or a masker worm kicked right of replication. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Done that many I times. That, I, don't, I don't think that works out as well as you want it to. You'll have a ton of energy and no demons of dark schemes. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, they kill each other. But uh, with the masker worm in particular, it murders everyone at the table as well. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, they, if they have a bunch of creatures, creature definitely. creature that <laughs> dies, they lose 10 or 12 life, depending on who controlled the original worm. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you have some recursion in here, too. Yeah, so kind of like continuing down down that path. You know, I have... You know, I've got, I've got a standard suite of removal um, in green-black, you know, like, oh, you know, um, stuff like yeah. uh, Living Death, which is kind of like my go-to wrath effect, typically because I've got way more creatures in the graveyard, and they all do <laughs> stuff when they enter the battlefield. 
we'll, we'll we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. <laughs> Doesn't always work as planned. Um, you know, pernicious deed, putrefy. You know, I have some flavorful stuff like um, extinguish all hope, which is destroy all non-enchantment creatures players control. Mm-hmm. So yes. you can kill everything but the magical snakes you gave them, which is which is usually p- pretty hilarious for slowing the game down. But for for um, you know partially removal, you know partially recursion. A card that I've really come to come around on, and 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 I think is much better than people give it credit for, is Foul Renewal. Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm. that, though, Sean? Do, do do you know that card off the top of your head? I do know it's the um, return something and give something XX, which is the power tough toughness. Oh, I've just found it in front of me. Toughness of the returned card. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> I don't tend to use point-to-point recursion in my decks. It's weird, but it's certainly... I mean, what's that, like 25 cents, that card? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a little it's a little off the radar. You know, never found any competitive play as far as I'm aware. But one of the things I really like about it is it's an instant. Most of the yeah. things that let you get stuff back from the graveyard or pull it back to your hand, um, even if it's just to your hand, you know, they're all sorcery speed effects. This isn't. And that really matters. Even if you even if you're not gonna kill something, it's it's you know great to to have extra mana end of turn, get back this thing, maybe kill your thing too, and then untap and play the thing that you need to keep progressing your game. And similarly, um I think Rescue from the Underworld is I think the best reanimation spell printed in ages, because end of turn you can sacrifice a creature that has some enter the battlefield ability on it, which is almost every creature in my deck. It goes to the graveyard, and then on your upkeep, the that and another creature that you want to get back both enter the battlefield and get to do their thing again. Yeah, it's you know, and it's and it costs just as much as like the other five mana reanimation effects that they play today. Not zombify because they they don't print four mana ones, but yeah, the yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. They're all called uh, um, unburied returning thing. It's black. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's black and it's a sorcery. <laughs> Five or yeah, six and, mana. yeah, and because it's an instant, you know, you can do it in reaction to like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, kill your one creature. Okay, well, I'm just gonna sacrifice it for return to the underworld instead. And you know, you can kind of negate. You know, it's one of the few ways to quote unquote counter somebody else. You know, doing stuff because it's also a sacrifice card too in instant speed. Yeah. So um, I, I've just found its utility really, really overwhelmingly good. Yeah, it's quite good. Definitely underrated. And it, it was an uncommon, too. You've got some newer cards in here, too, don't you? Or another new card, I should say. Yeah, I try to find some, some newer ones to, to, to highlight, too, so it's, uh, you know, somebody's newer to magic. Maybe they can follow along a little better. Um, Rishkar's Expertise um, is another card I'm, I'm testing out. One of the things that I run into trouble with many of my decks is I, is I, is I tend to gas out. Like, I just... My hand gets empty... I run low and I kind of run out of things to do and that's you know that's always a very dangerous spot right like if you're not advancing your battle you know advancing your board or um, taking care of threats or doing doing something relevant on your turn you just can quickly fall behind because everyone else is taking you know you're you know you're fighting two or three or four other turns until um, you get to yours again so Rishkar's expertise is kind of a really neat spot where I play a bunch of big creatures. It's typically not hard to have gigantic creature on the battlefield, you know. Uh, and so drawing a bunch of cards, casting something for free, it just kind of fills that slot of advancing things well. You know, similar with um, Moonlight Bargain. 
which hmm. is a you know it's a, it's a little bit older for card, but again, it's instant speed card draw. It's one of the ways where I can just wait to cast it, right? I don't have to do anything with it. I can keep mana open for Farika, which is kind of an interesting thing to do because sometimes people take notice of that and they. You know, they know if they try to reanimate something from their graveyard, you'll just give them a snake instead, which is what they don't want. So you can kind of wait out somebody's turn and then draw a bunch of cards. Um, and Moonlight Bargain is interesting because the the downside is you have to put it into the, um, you know, you either pay two life to keep the card or you put it in the graveyard. Oh, shucks. I don't, yeah, right? I don't care if I'm really putting it in the graveyard. Um, and it's also great in the late game when you have enough mana and you can just auto-dump the lands or whatever ramp spells you draw. It's just easy to, to, to clear through chaff and dig dig into the deck quick for five cards. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Stiff, you seem like you're the green version of me in that I love playing with graveyards too. And but I do it with blue black rather than green black. And don't you just love it when people mill you? And you're just like you're just basically filling my hand, which happens to be in the graveyard. I I have giggled on numerous occasions. <sighs> it's it's great. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this is actually why I play the Mimeoplasm so much. It fuses both Golgari and Demir in such a way that it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I, I had a Mimeoplasm deck for a while. It's it's a lot of fun, especially when, when somebody else discards something or uh, puts puts a puts something in their graveyard and they don't realize what the Mimeoplasm can really do with that. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like Christmas every game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's good fun. Uh, Mimia Plasma's great. Uh, I'm going to have to tap out, guys. Sorry, listeners. Yeah, I, was I have just to go say. to work. Um, just very quickly before I go, can I ask you two filthy green players your opinion on a new card? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hour of Promise. Four and a green sorcery. Search your library for up to two land cards. Put them onto the backfield tap, then shuffle. Then if you control three or more deserts, create two, two, two black zombie creature tokens. Is this better than sky shroud claim it mostly is uh, just <laughs> i yeah. think i'll go get my cabal coffers and Ur- urborg tomb yeah or my thespian stage and my dark depths so that's five yeah. mana go get a uh, 2020 flying indestructible creature all right. Named Merit Lage. That is if a you insist. God. Anyway, I I have to go. Um, I'll let you continue talking about. But just green ramp. There you go. They've just for new Magic players, they're just about to print something that's going to be a commander staple for years to come. In my opinion, been a pleasure, Mister Stibbs. It was awesome. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Bye, Phil. I'll speak to you Bye, soon. Bye, Sean. Bye. Sorry, Sean had to drop off there, but that's where real life, it kind of impinges on our hobby of podcasting. You left off with describing the Moonlight Bargain, but you've got other cards in here too. Some Golgari staples, actually, looking at them. Yeah, so kind of like the last, one of the last clusters of cards I have are just what I call sweet creatures. Like, I can't really define what they do. They just do really good and dumb things. I've killed many players with Corrosive Guildmage. Mm. You know, it's it's two abilities are so inobviously synergistic. It's it's funny. Like I, 
I didn't realize how good this card was until I just gave it a shot after somebody recommended it and, and basically gave me the TLDR of like, look, Intimidate's much better than it looks, particularly when um, you, know, you give something black Intimidate or green Intimidate. You can usually hit somebody in a game of Commander pretty hard. And the fact that it's got a sacrifice effect, so if I have a giant creature or, or I need to get a bunch of small creatures, again, to, to soak up some Annihilator trigger or to soak up some sacrifice effects, it, it just converts mana into other good resources. And, yeah. and those little engines kind of add up. You know, Jared Gorgory Lich Lord is another card that I really like because it, it gives me black, black and green fireballs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I always forget that it says each opponent loses life, not target opponent. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, so when you have, uh, you know, when you have, like, giant creatures, you know, or things like Kokosho, the Evening Star, which is a card I run, or uh, Lord of Extinction, which is generally pretty gross by the time I want to play it, you know, talking about two-card combos, you know, Jared into Lord of Extinction, Sack Lord of Extinction, usually ends a game in very short order. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it does. And and it's and it's not it's not the you know, there's I think there's a there's a fine line between I have a thing I can do to end the game or to fight, you know, superior firepower with equivalent firepower versus this is my game plan. Like my game plan is to not mill Lord of Extinction, Jared, kill everyone every game. But it's a thing I can go do that sometimes is a little off the radar. Like people that have played the against the deck a couple times kind of start to get a sense of what's in it. But when I'm out and about, usually I play Jared, and people have to stop and read it, and they kind of scratch their heads. And it isn't until I do something, you know, really dumb afterwards with it, or I sack three creatures and everybody loses twenty life because I just threw all my giant fatties away, <sighs> that they realize and understand what's going on. Is we've moved into the end the game phase, and I'm making my move. So <laughs> I, I, li- I like yeah. having those eject buttons. Yeah, Jared is a pretty good game ender there. Uh, Mr. Watson has actually ended many a game with Jared. He had a Jared deck for a while that he just took apart because it was so brutally oppressive and won quite frequently. So, yeah, I've seen it plenty of times. I actually don't use it in my Mimeoplasm deck either. It's a natural fit for that, but I, it, it just made the game a little bit too easy. Yeah. It's a good card. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I don't have many tutor effects in my deck, just right. kind of how I balance that out. Like I, you know, if I need it and, you know, I really got to think about what am I going to tutor for if I'm going to cast this tutor, this yeah. tutor effect. And so oftentimes I've already used it or I don't have a way to go grab it. So it's really the exception rather than the rule, which I think keeps it, keeps it a little fair. He's still, yeah. he's still good. He's a sweet You creature. do run birthing pod though, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't strictly make my deck chain well. Like, I think there's, like, one card that gets me uh, at 7 to, to 8 for, like, Woodfall Primus. So yeah. it's usually, like, a one and done. Um, and again, that's kind of, like, a self-limiter I have with a lot of what I build is, yes, I can do powerful things, but I can't, like, do it iteratively to an extent that, it you know, it kind of takes over. I try to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I liked about your deck. You didn't actually build it too take full advantage of the birthing pod. It's just opportunistic as it comes along. Yeah, so a card that I love throwing into the birthing pod, mm-hmm. kind of uh, kind of doing my own smooth segue oh, yeah. here, is Mitotic Slime, which is a card I think criminally underplayed. Just <laughs> more players should be throwing this in green decks. You know, a 4 4 for 5 isn't much to, to write home about, but the fact that it splits into two two twos and each of those split into two one ones, it 
it just soaks up so much damage. And it, and it lets you power up so many sacrifice effects. You know, if you've got Ashnod's Altar, it's just like, you know, it's like a little mini ramp spell for colorless mana, which is dangerous in its own right. But I I've, I found that the, the card's, you know, obviously great for Birthing Pod, obviously great for reanimating. Um, it's, it's a really good way to just kind of like slow down on the battlefield because I'm just getting so many tokens and they can kind of soak up damage. You know, when somebody's playing, uh, you know, attacking with a Kozilek or an Ulamog, having a way to, to just soak tons of Annihilator triggers is um, super helpful. Mm-hmm. It's one of the only ways you can really, like, you know, that that's the trick with the Eldrazi. Like, if you can take it, if you can survive a hit or two, you can usually find a way to recover or, or push back or find an exile effect or somebody will take yeah. care of it. It's just surviving is the tough part. And Mitotic Slime just does a lot of that. And of course, when you've got, like, Jared and other ways to sacrifice creatures for um, for effect, I think I've thrown Mitotic Slime into Crows to Guildmage more times than, than I care to remember, because it just makes so many tokens. It just, like, explodes. And, <laughs> you know, people forget that it just does that. Yeah. Another card that, uh, that I actually added kind of recently, and it's in part thanks to, again, Jimmy and Josh, the Command Zone. You know, one of the things that they've talked about, uh, I think uh, about a month or two ago, they had an episode about... Um, a couple months ago, they had an episode about mana curves and, and just really talking about what are you doing on every turn of the game? You know, how does your curve look in your deck? And and looking at my deck, the curve isn't the greatest. You know, there's a huge spike at three mana and five mana, which makes a little sense because if you run a three mana ramp spell, you're set up to do f- something with five mana on turn four. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's not the worst build, but it's definitely a little more top heavy um, than my other decks. You know, I don't, if I'm, if I'm just playing like a fun heads up game, just to like test out a deck, like freak is not the deck I grab. It's just a little too slow for that. But a card that, it, that quickly earned its place. Um, I added it right before PAX East this year, death, right? Shaman, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, has, has a slew of abilities and it, it did so much. I played a game, you know, one day with one, pl- with, with, with a group of, group of, uh, commander players, Bruce Richard was there and I was really excited because I'm like, oh, it's my opening hand. I can finally see what this card can do. And <laughs> and it ramped me and dealt like eight damage uh, before somebody finally killed it. Huh. Yeah. And it was just because it just was super efficient, super small, came out on turn one and just kind of like sat there and took advantage of everybody, you know, using fetch lands and using, you know, ramp spells. Like, oh, you cast ramp of growth. Cool. You take, you know, everybody loses two life. <laughs> you know, so it's just super efficient at what it does. Um, the second time, like a day later, I played, and the same thing, like on turn two or three, I I, I drew it and like I played it, um, and somebody and the player that was repeating from previously immediately killed it. He's like, I'm not dealing with that again, <laughs> which is yeah. like a, you know, maybe it's a little bit more than I would have assessed the threat level at, but like that that to me is like a great vote of confidence, right? When somebody's like, I remember what that card did before. I'm having flashbacks. I'm 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 done with that. No no thank you. Uh yeah, so it's funny. It, it it's funny. I'm kind of uh scarred because of that. Like Deathrite Shaman, I used to play all the time, especially in the Mimeoplasm deck, and I finally took it out because every time I'd put it down it would die. And if 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 you don't kill it right away, it actually inhibits people from playing spells because they know it's gonna go into their yard and you're gonna exile it for effect. I've seen people hold off, which is kind of silly, but hold off on casting ramp spells, coordinating so that the next person could play some slow, you know, some slow sorcery that kills Deathrite Shaman. So it's a very effective card. It's a good choice in here. Yeah, and maybe that's why um, why I don't look at it like that way. 
I you know I'm I'm unafraid to take like a hit on the chin. Um, I think we played a couple of games. I think you I think you noticed that. You know is is you know I'll take ten damage. Like okay cool you're attacking me. I'm not gonna block and throw creatures away. Like I yeah. I've got plans for them on my next turn. I'll go ahead and take ten damage. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it up to you later. You watch. You know <laughs> you know I like I would see Deathrite Shaman. And I wouldn't be afraid to cast ramping growth into it. Like okay cool I'll take two damage. I'm still ramping. Like this is not stopping my game plan. Two life is nothing. Yeah. But the the cumulative effect, especially with multiple opponents, you know, if you've got four opponents and you activate Deathrite Shaman twice, that's sixteen damage. <laughs> and the, you know the math just doesn't, you know, just doesn't fly. You know, it's it, it definitely scales much better than I think it does. But I'm I'm not yeah. afraid of it. You know, I have a couple of these. I think I'll put a, I'll fi- I'll find room for it in the Mimeoplasm and uh, my Anafenza deck of all things, because that's already exiling all the creatures, right? And so might as well exile the rest. Now, do you have any funny stories about playing? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's such a leading question because I know <laughs> some of the answers. But now you played a, a really fun game at GP Las Vegas, didn't you? Kind of facing not quite a mirror deck, but another Golgari deck. It's a little more fun in hindsight, but I was I was definitely a little little frustrated <laughs> by the, by the uh, by the end of the game. Yeah, the, I had to leave that one early so I didn't get to see the end of the game. the The game ended basically when I so I'm playing Masriak. Uh, you know, Brian Dawes had this deck, and it's got Cauldron of Souls, and basically it's full on combo going. And of course, I can't find any of my artifact removal anywhere. It's right. just like not coming out because um, I would have like tried to kill that thing five times over. Um, and the one time we did, he just like, you know, Eternal Witness did. It was very, very difficult to break <laughs> the engine that that was set up. And that was kind of the real the real crux of the problem. Is, is I cast Living Death three times in my my one turn. I set up, used all my mana, sequenced my cards, tutored, did everything in my my humanly possible to break up that combo. Just reset everything. Try to get, you know, try to get him in a spot where like it's going to take another turn or two to get moving again. And it was so not successful. I think somebody else <laughs> scooped. And then when I passed the turn to Brian, he cast his own living death. Oh my goodness! That's how ineffective it was at breaking that up. So, you know, it's, I'm I'm hoping I don't have nightmares when I go to sleep tonight because because that deck was brutal. It was it was definitely not something my Farika deck could really handle. There's just no, there's just no real sequence of cards other than like, did I draw a whole bunch of my removal to 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 answer with? Definitely not like my my very fair creatures, but a much more entertaining tale. So Bruce Richard, who took over Serious Fun after I moved over to Command Tower, um, yep. you know, I you know he lives in Boston, four hours east. We hang out for PAX East every year. He's really a great of the show. Yeah, really great guy. Loves you know, genuinely loves casual magic and and genuinely plays magic much more casual than me. You know, I learn a lot from him every time we talk and play. We were playing at, um, I think, Grand Prix Boston one year, or maybe it was PAX East. I can't remember. It was one of the two. It was definitely in the Boston area. And, um, you know, one of the cards I have in my deck, of course, is Deadbridge Chant. You know, classic Golgari <laughs> kind of card from Dragon's Maze. You know, dump a bunch of cards in the graveyard, randomly get one back. And so, like, random.org is great because I can pull it up on my phone and, like, I've got 42 cards in the graveyard. Great. Random between 1 and 42. And I can quickly quickly randomize a card back from my hand. Well, Bruce thought he was very smart. And he goes, I know how oh, to deal no. with this dead bridge chant. I'm going to Bajuka Bog your graveyard. Oh, no. And so, <laughs> I 
I go, okay. So I exile my graveyard. And then for the rest of that very brief game, I could instantly tutor back whatever I wanted, you know, turn after turn, right. because that would be the only card in my graveyard. Oh. So he got to learn how Deadrich Chant really works. <laughs> and I, you know, I got a great story that kind of led me to keep keep it in my in my deck. You know, my deck really doesn't um, have a great way to massage it, and it truly is, you know, the full Deadbridge Chant experience. There's usually already, you know, 15 to 20 cards in the graveyard by the time it hits the battlefield. So it's, it is literally playing roulette every every upkeep, and it's a lot of fun. Because um, usually once once you have, like, enough cards where, you know, your odds are pretty poor that you're going to hit Kokusho back-to-back or something, people leave it alone, and they just, they, they get to experience the joy with you. Or the sorrow of hitting land every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I've uh, I've been tempted to run this one too, but it feels like such a high risk for the payoff. I've seen it used in a Tassiger deck, I believe, right? Where Tassiger can just exile whatever he wants and then return Deathbridge Chant, uh, the card with Deathbridge Chant right away. Specifically the card he wants, so. Mm-hmm. How does somebody hose, other than uh, essentially repeatedly denying your living death and then casting one on his own turn, how does somebody hose Farika? <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty easy. I mean, it's a, it's a very, you know, typical linear graveyard kind of deck. So the things that work against linear graveyard decks kind of hold up, yeah. right? Like if you've got Graft Digger's Cage and Boku Jubag, Relic of Progenitus, a bunch of ways to basically keep Rest in Peace is really obnoxious. I played... A game against that, and it was a lot of not fun because half my cards just don't work anymore. That's the kind of stuff that takes Farika down. You know, it's a, aggressive graveyard hosers really are just, you know, no fun for Farika. Similarly, really good control decks. Uh, you know, I, I play I, I play like a tap-out deck, right? Like, I'm constantly just spending my mana, I'm trying to do stuff on my turn usually, casting big creatures and advancing my battlefield. And if I'm trying to do something sneaky, right, like it's like an instant effect, and that's where control decks can just like usually, you know, they can step in very surgically. You know, if you counter uh, Return from the Underworld, it's usually bad news, because I've not only spent five mana, used a really powerful trick in my deck, but I probably also sacrificed a creature that I wanted to get the effect of again. Mm -hmm. And if I'm doing something like Solemn Simulacrum, right, where like I'm just trying to like ramp, get more mana, draw more cards, reanimate something else, stopping that kind of can really put the the brakes on the deck hard it's not hard to predict like which cards should should be countered from my deck it doesn't play very doesn't have a lot of clever tricks like that and of course land destruction the deck's really mana hungry like i want to be hitting land drops every turn one of my favorite things is their sea guide ash which is uh you know a five mana four four and when it dies you get three force cards onto the battlefield tapped um and it's not uncommon for me if i find sea guide ash to just recur that as hard as possible. Spend a lot of effort just ramping up to like 20 mana because then I can, my whole deck's online because I can do all sorts of stuff with all of my mana sinks and the really expensive creatures that I want to play plus keep mana up for Farika, stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, it's if, if, I, if, if I'm starved for mana, especially if I miss ramp spells, drawing into them or drawing into lands, it can be pretty brutal where I just kind of sit there and do a lot of nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where that would be worse in some cases than uh, than for other decks. Hmm. Well, not to uh, not to re- relate everything to our preview cards, but do you think God Pharaoh's gift would work in here? Yeah, I, I said I, I think I'm willing to to think about it and give it a try. 
you know, it's 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 really great because it's a it's a colorless artifact, so it can kind of slot into any deck, and that's what I yeah. like about it. Like it can get into some sneaky places, like you know, like like a blue red deck, which typically struggles with like having creatures on the battlefield. Well, suddenly, you know, you cast you know Scrivener, and and then you get to sacrifice Scrivener to something, and then get yet another right. instant back later. That's the kind of kind of deck I think that can do some really cool things with Godfarer's Gift. That's what we eventually settled on, that uh, a deck that isn't very heavy on recursion is probably going to benefit more from Godfarrow's Gift. Sean, for example, wants to put it into his Aurelia deck because then every combat step he gets a new eternalized creature. Yeah, like I think Red-White... I, know, I, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I think Red-White really benefits from getting more big creatures going, um, particularly when like you've got like small small things like... You know, make a make a make an internalized version of Tajik. Like it's Tajik, but better. Uh, that, that that kind of stuff seems awesome. So, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's into my deck. It's really expensive for what it for what it does. Feels yeah. it feels good, but I'd probably actually consider putting it into something like, you know, a creature heavy version of Reese the Redeemed. Like I have a lot of spells that make creatures, but if I'm playing, um, you know, being able to being able to get back, uh, Woodfall, not Woodfall Primus the uh, Avenger of Zendikar uh, and then sacrifice oh, yeah. Avenger of Zendikar and get another Avenger of Zendikar. You know, <laughs> things that make a bunch of tokens when they enter the battlefield. You know, I think that that's, that's really synergistic with like Reese to me. Like I'm, I'm probably tempted to put it over there so I can get a token of something awesome and then make copies of that token, of course. Yeah. You don't even have to have a lot of really great creatures for that to work out in your favor. Even if you put it just in there to say get the Avenger of Zendikar and the Hornet Queen back, right? That paves for itself right away. Absolutely. Well, for the folks who are interested in seeing your Farika deck, we're actually, we'll put it up on deck stats, but you also have it up on a, a little website you control the content of, don't you? I do. You can see the full deck over on uh, the, the deck builder, decks.tcplayer.com. I think there'll be a link in the description and and whatnot. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to updating it with Hour of Devastation. There's a ton of great cards oh, coming so already. Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation have been awesome, I think, for for commander sets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I don't think you know, I don't even think I updated this deck pretty well with Amonkhet. I think uh, Shefet Monitor needs to go in here. I mean, it's just basically uh, mm -hmm. another um, wood, uh, not Woodfall Primus. <laughs> Forget the new one. Got the name of Croson Tusker. Oh yeah, those you know, anything with like creatures with like cycling or like when you know, you know when it goes to the graveyard triggers, things like that, all really work well with uh, Freaka. So I need to take another look at Omniket and Hour Devastation and and get some uh, get some new love going with the deck. Yeah, there's plenty there. <laughs> so we will include links to all of your articles and uh, how to find you on the various sites, including the Mothership. Your articles, of course, at TCG Player, and and how can people reach you if they want to? My my favorite place to be yelled at is on Twitter. So <laughs> at the <laughs> underscore Stibs S T Y B S. Pretty, I, I try to stay pretty active. I found it's been harder and harder to keep up as I get busier with uh, you know office work and other things that I'm working on at TCG Player. But I love interacting and talking with people. And preview season is one of the most one of the most fun fun times I have. Uh, I just like to, you know, I, I get just as excited about the cards as everyone else, and so 
having that shared excitement, talking about which cards can be good, which cards are good for a commander. You know, I usually have a pretty pretty varied opinion about some of the cards. I'm a little more uh, flexible, and, and I guess it may be open-minded might be the, the nice way to put it about uh, about new cards. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to update decks and try out these new things and constantly uh, constantly see what's coming next. Now, I didn't have a chance really to say this at GP Vegas. Um, we didn't have nearly as much time as I wanted, despite our spending. We spent hours talking and playing. Thank you for building such a wonderful team and, frankly, a community at Gathering Magic while you were there. And I know you've moved on to bigger and better things, I suppose, at TCG Player. And I'm not faulting TCG at all. It's just you built something really special over there. And thank you. Thank you for doing that. That's something people have shared before. But as always, I'll, I'll point to the, the contributors and the people that, that write. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not my voice talking in every article. And I think that that's important. So, it is. You know, I was, I was privileged to work with you know, amazing people over there. I'm privileged to work with amazing people at TCG Player 2. Um, I would say yeah. it's, just, it's different. But you know, I'm really happy for the, for the people that, that, that were able to find success and create the awesome things that they, that they make and are still making. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great group of people that, that I got to work with, for sure. As someone who consumes a lot of magic content, who reads a lot of stuff, who listens to podcasts, I can't wait to see what you do over there. Adam Staborski, thank you so much. See, I didn't settle on either the Stibs or just Adam there. It's a little, you know, we're changing it up. Thanks for hanging out with us this entire time. It's it's been great. Yeah, I like that you <laughs> my full dad name, the, the, the full Adam Staborski. <laughs> great. We want to thank everybody who's still hanging out with us this far into the episode. So thank you, everybody. And without your support, of course, we couldn't couldn't have made this episode. We wouldn't have gone to Vegas and wouldn't have met awesome people, including Adam. So if you want to support the podcast and help us in the future, just head on over to patreon.com slash commander at MTG and a buck a show would be amazing. And we have folks who have donated $10 or more per episode, which is just an astounding level of generosity. And we host a patron chat where we talk to our most dedicated patroni on Facebook. So if you donate $10 or more, let us know and we'll become Facebook friends and we'll add you to the, the group and we'll chat. We're incredibly grateful to all of our patrons, people exactly like Brandon Grassley, Paul, who is a cosplayer that we roomed with in Vegas, met him there, and now he's a, a patron of the show. And of course, this happens to be a, a wonderful coincidence. Brian Dawes also pledged and is donating now to the show. He's at MTG Lord of Leaves, and he's who we were talking about before, Adam. And all of our listeners, don't forget to give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. You can reach us by going to our website, which is commanderandmtg.com, and our email address is cast at commanderandmtg.com. You can find us on all the social media by searching for Commander and MTG Podcast. And a special thanks to all the folks who've contributed to the show. Nate Burgess wrote our theme song. Mr. Picto and my wife worked on our logo. And of course, our server space is courtesy of Justin. And individually on Twitter, I'm at Ketjack. Sean would say, I'm at Copain26. And then Shivan would say, I'm Electrotal. So Adam, if you would... Would these stibs take us out? If you're going to take one lesson from Commander and and apply it going forward, at the end of the game, ask your opponents, did they have fun? Oh, That answer will tell you almost everything you need to know about your deck. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> 
Commander. Commander.